1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
3: This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish.
2: Off today, Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking.
3: Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks to the future and says, Dr. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And this is going to be part two
4: of our two-part series, On vaccines, and last time we talked about the history of vaccines and how they work, and this time we're gonna do what we do on the show and look at the future. Yeah. uh, The future of vaccines, where we can go with this technology. But if you haven't listened to that original episode, the one we did last time, you should probably go back, listen to that one first to get the foundation. The, the, uh, the for
0: science th- basis. Yeah, yeah, the
4: foundation for the discussion we're about to have, and then come back and rejoin us here for a journey into the great unknown.
3: Yeah, in yeah. fact, we're going to start with some FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt.
4: It's yeah. true. We mentioned right back at the beginning of the last episode that... I, I have a theory that uh news about developments in vaccine technology kind of gets undersold in the in the media a little bit because uh the media space for vaccine related stories is mostly taken up by anti-vaccine activism controversy yeah
3: mm-hmm. in fact if you if you were to do internet searches on uh, things about vaccines and uh, you know just You're using good search techniques. A lot of your results are going to come up with some very non scientifically minded material that has no real relationship to any proven uh, Mm -hmm. foundation. Yeah. Uh,
0: If I can be, if I could be straight with all of you guys out there in podcast world, uh, I suggested this topic specifically because over, over on a show called What the Stuff, which is a video show that we run uh, through How Stuff Works. We published a video about about misconceptions about the flu. Uh, Caroline Irvin hosted it. Mm-hmm. I I wrote the script. It was a really terrific episode, and th- the comment thread on YouTube is interesting.
3: I got I mm-hmm. got to ask: Was there a sizable anti-vax? incredibly sizable interesting and and actually and even
0: e- even the pro-vaccination faction was being really quite impolite yeah uh which which i don't think was helping the matter well and, and this is and one it's those, part of why the debate gets so hot yes yeah, yeah
3: exactly this this was well for one we're literally talking about life and death yeah here. this is not this is not some minor issue this is something that you know we as we mentioned in part one Vaccines have saved countless lives. Not just the people they directly saved, but their descendants, right? Oh, so-
4: yeah.
0: And and also herd immunity. And we'll we'll get into this a little bit uh, a, a little bit later on, but protecting other people who can't catch a disease from you if you don't have that disease, yes, is a really huge part of why vaccination is rad.
4: Well, we should address this topic, I think, by starting with the the sort of historical facts about where the the, the current strain of this controversy came from. Now, one of the things I I think we should say at the outset is that vaccines are medications, and pretty much every medication that exists can in some number, some subset of cases have side effects. Sure. And this is true. This is true of vaccines as well. But the problem is the side effects that have been claimed uh, most of the time by the anti-vaccination movement are not the real side effects or they've been claimed to happen at a much higher frequency than is actually observed in the medical literature. And I think the most Commonly cited side effect has been this perceived association between vaccines and autism.
3: Yeah, that's the, I easily the, the, big one, easily the, the most, uh, the most covered of all of the controversies, right? The big so, tuna in the basket, we might yeah. say. Yeah. So, uh, as we often do yeah. on forward thinking, uh, yeah, the vaccine autism connection or lack thereof, as I wrote in our notes. Uh, yeah, the, the general thought was that, That because of the publication of a particular paper, and I'll get to that in a second, that uh, that childhood vaccination schedules were somehow not just correlated, but had a a cause effect relationship Mm -hmm. with the rise in the diagnosis of autism in children. Mm -hmm. Uh, This all really got started back in 1997 when Andrew Wakefield, who was a British surgeon, published a paper in The Lancet allegedly establishing this link between MMR vaccine, uh, that's uh, mumps, measles, and rubella, I believe, uh, and a rise in the number of children being diagnosed with autism. Now, The Lancet is a highly respected journal. Mm-hmm. Like it, oh, this, yeah. This isn't a blog that someone has put up and given a vaguely scientific or medical-sounding name and then treats it as if it were a peer-reviewed journal. This is... Top-notch stuff in the field of medicine.
4: Yes, but even a respected journal can make mistakes.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And, and and in this case, since the publication of this article, the research has been really gone over and through. And, and the, the it doesn't pers- hold it up. It does not hold up. No. Uh, the scientific hold up for- method weren- was not being used properly yeah, here.
3: Uh, some, some people have gone so far as to accuse Wakefield of knowingly misrepresenting data, not just cherry picking, but Mm -hmm. misrepresenting.
0: There were procedural errors. There were undisclosed financial conflicts of interest. Yeah,
3: essentially Wakefield was getting money from parties that had a vested interest in alternatives to vaccination. Mm -hmm. So this was a big deal and eventually took longer than many of us would have liked. uh, The scandal cost Wakefield his medical license in the UK and The Lancet retracted the paper and said uh, this it was a mistake to ever publish it in the first place. We don't
4: stand by the results exactly. anymore, and they don't seem to be true.
3: However, yeah. uh, when, when a cat is let out of a bag, <laughs> the bag is no longer filled with cat.
4: Especially. And so it was with us. And it's even worse if that cat goes on to have many, many litters of kittens.
3: Yes, uh, including people who uh, have a visible place in, in the public uh, consciousness, like people who have a platform upon which to continuously promote this idea of a connection between vaccines and autism.
4: Yeah, this is, this has been a factor in the history of this debate, because even though the medical establishment considers this link between vaccines and autism completely debunked, mm-hmm. uh, it has had some very popular uh, celebrity endorsements. Yeah, they, yeah. Say. And,
0: and you, you guys know him. You've heard him. Yeah. I mean,
3: we're not going to we're not going to name, names, name names Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Mostly because I won't be able to complete the rest of this podcast. I will just be drooling at, and foaming and yelling.
0: Yeah, uh, but but the but the f- absolute fact of the matter is, and I'm and I'm sure you've heard it before, but hear it again from us. There have been studies, peer-reviewed, well-researched, uh, w- like good science studies that have shown that there is no link between vaccines and autism.
3: Exactly. It just
0: does not exist as far as a scientific method can tell.
3: Right. Like, as as certain as we can be about anything, at this point, we can be certain that vaccines do not lead to uh, autism. There There are other theories about why the diagnosis for autism has been on the rise, largely due to things like redefining what? The autism spectrum is absolutely the autistic spectrum. I should say. Yeah. And by redefining it, suddenly, if you have a wider net, what do you know? More people fall into that definition. Yeah.
0: If you're paying attention to these to these poor people who otherwise would have slipped through the cracks, then of course you're going to find more of them. Right. So. Uh, so. And furthermore, okay, adding to this, adding to this problem of of celebrities, uh, misinforming the public about this issue, you, you have a few misguided people in the government. Uh, who have accused the CDC of destroying or covering up evidence that vaccines cause autism. Mm-hmm. And if, if you've heard about that, uh, the, these accusations have been proven to be completely unfounded. Uh, data from the studies that these governmental people were talking about was neither destroyed nor covered up. It's there. You can you could go look at it for yourself. Um, and furthermore, every study that has been conducted that potentially indicated a link between vaccines and autism has been shown to have used uh, really shoddy statistics to bend the data to their to their wishes.
3: Yeah, again, largely cherry picking information, ignoring anything that does not back up your claim Mm -hmm. and only picking the stuff that does seem to back up your claim. That's a that's bad science for anything. Right. Not just with vaccines, but any kind of science where you are. You feel motivated to only present the information that supports your hypothesis. That's bad science. It's not the way science is supposed to work. And that's why we have the peer review process Mm -hmm. so that others can come in and uh, really scrutinize the work that you've done to make sure that that hasn't happened sometimes it even happens unconsciously I'm not necessarily oh, sure, saying that sure. people do it on purpose all the time well, and,
0: and sometimes you can look at numbers and think that they're leading in one way mm-hmm. and you know if perhaps your sample size is too small right. or or you've you've assumed a variable is in play that is
3: not or there there are variables that you did not take into account Sure, yeah. sure
0: absolutely like a uh, lots lots of completely honest mistakes can happen in this kind of situation
3: now at the end of the day, not vaccinating people leads to disease outbreaks and potentially to fatalities. As an example, uh, in California, back in 2010, there was an outbreak of pertussis, also known as whooping cough. Whooping cough had not been seen in any large numbers for 60 years in California. And then in 2010, there's an outbreak of more than 9,000 cases. So, uh, that also included 10 infant deaths, right? And when we talk about herd immunity, part of that is our responsibility to be vaccinated against diseases so we don't pass them on to people who are too young to have been vaccinated already.
0: Yeah, or who have compromised immune systems and exactly. can receive those vaccines.
3: Yeah, so I'm getting a little head up about this. I apologize for that. But this is one of those uh, those those topics that I really get very passionate about. So at any rate... Um vaccines and autism, there is no credible scientific link between the two. This is not the only uh thing that vaccines have been um allegedly connected to. The another one is type 1 diabetes. This was popularized by Dr. J. Bartholow Classen, uh who, who had claimed that the rise in diabetes diagnoses in the U.S were tied to childhood vaccination schedules. So very similar to the autism story and also very similar to the autism story. Other scientific studies do not seem to bear this out at all. One of the ones I looked at uh, was a study that followed 21,421 children over the course of 10 years after they had received the uh, the HIB conjugate vaccine, the HIV conjugate vaccine, and found that there was no greater incidence in diabetes than a control group of 22,557 children who did not receive the vaccination. In other words, there was no rise in diabetes in the the test group compared to the control group. That's a pretty decent sample size. I
0: was about to say, yeah, that's what you like to call a good sample size.
3: And, of course, that's not the only study that has been conducted in terms of vaccines and diabetes. That was just the one that I I had looked at to Mm -hmm. choose as an example. But, Mm -hmm. uh, again... There does not seem to be any credible scientific link between the two. Uh, there's also the fear about vaccines containing toxins.
0: Uh, heavy metals, for example, or formaldehyde.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are uh, now some vaccines like we, we've outlawed some of these uh, chemicals to be used in vaccines, even though at the levels that they were in uh, in vaccines, they were well below uh, toxic. To- levels. Right. 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 Yeah. Cause there, there's certain chemicals that you can, you can come into contact with and not have any toxicity. There's no toxicity involved. You have sure. to have more than that.
0: Yeah. If you eat enough nutmeg, it can kill you, guys. Don't yeah. eat too much nutmeg.
3: Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> don't like
0: drink. Don't like, don't, don't like just chew on nutmeg all day. It's, right. It's bad for you.
3: Or, or like if you ate five pounds of apple seeds, then you might have enough cyanide to actually do some damage to you. Sure. But, Otherwise, the levels are so low that they aren't toxic. That was the very case of the the materials that are in vaccines. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just a misunderstanding of what toxic means. Yeah. Uh, Because, of
0: course, formaldehyde is is toxic. Of of course, uh, mercury is a bad thing to drink.
3: Right. But there are certain levels that you can encounter that aren't going to harm you. In fact... Mm -hmm. When it comes to things like formaldehyde, our own metabolic processes create formaldehyde.
0: Right in your body.
3: Yeah. All and, the time. And more so than you would find in any vaccine. So yeah. uh, the thing that drives me nuts in this is when people are, uh, will say like, oh, the same chemicals that are in formaldehyde are in this uh, this uh material that's inside a vaccine. I said, have you looked to see what other stuff these chemicals are in? I mean, they're in like lots of things. You don't understand chemistry is yeah. what the, what this is telling me, yeah, yeah, uh, but at any rate, that's another you know another fear that is uh, largely unfounded. Clearly, any substance that we're introducing to our body, uh, there needs to be a great deal of testing to make certain that it's not toxic, but these are materials that at these levels we know aren't mm-hmm. toxic. Um, another fear. The vaccines cause the very disease they're meant to prevent. In other words, you go in, you get a vaccination, and then two days later, you've come down with whatever it is you got vaccinated against. Clearly, the vaccine did it, right? I, if you and, don't
4: know what you're talking about, this makes sense. Yeah. Oh, sure.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, well, and, and we, we talked a little bit about this one in the previous episode. Yeah. But, yeah, there's um, the, the way that vaccines work is that it, it takes a while for your body to take the information in the vaccine and to extrapolate it out and, and build up a resistance to
3: that. Right. And in that time between when it gets the information and when it's ready, you could still catch that disease. Mm -hmm. You could still encounter it and end up becoming sick because your body isn't in the ready state yet.
0: Right, right. And we should say that, that it's not that this has never in the history of vaccines happened.
3: No, it did happen once. It happened one time,
0: literally one time, literally yeah. one patient, the
3: oral polio vaccine, okay. which is no longer used in the United States. But yeah, that's the one time there was a recorded case where this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all the other cases, the reactions that a person had to vaccines, they were something else. It wasn't that they caught the disease. They got from vaccinated the vaccine. Against. Sometimes there's a complication because the immune system reacts in a way that is far too, uh too strong. And mm-hmm. as a result, someone can suffer something like seizures or. Uh, or brain damage, even in some cases, but it's super rare for that to happen. But it's not the disease that did it; it's the body's own immune system that went haywire. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, and well, and in the case of the flu, we, we should say uh, there are there's okay. There's a lot of different strains of the flu going around at any yeah. given time. Mm-hmm. So if you catch the flu after you've received a vaccine, uh, it, it could just be a different strain because the the vaccine for the flu that's sent out every year is is made up. Of is made to target two to four strains that global researchers have guessed is going to be or are going to be. The most active in the coming year, oh right, and they're making real educated guesses, you guys, <laughs> yeah, uh, so
3: it's so it's like they're looking it's at not a just pie a guess, yeah, it's, uh, yeah,, no, it's yeah. not
0: like a dice roll, but uh, like, yeah,
3: they might be looking at a big pie chart, right, and saying like this this particular strain of the virus has this percentage chance of being one of the really prevalent ones this year, yeah, so they're, they're, they're let's looking get the whipped green,
0: yeah, they're. <laughs> They're looking Not at a pa- kind of pie chart, but yeah, they're looking at patient data from from people around the world. Yeah. And uh, but but, you know, it's it's completely possible to catch a different strain than sure. what was in the vaccine. That We've received.
3: seen outbreaks of flu where it would end up being a strain of flu that everyone was fairly certain was going to be more or less inert. Yeah. And turn out that they were wrong. It does happen. Um, so anyway, that's that's a list of things that people often fear are bad or can go wrong with vaccines. Now, there are some things that can go wrong and you want to address them. Sure. We've
4: mentioned a couple times already that like all medications, vaccines can have side effects. They typically the approved vaccines that are given out are going to have an extremely low incidence of of catastrophic side effects, Uh, though maybe, you know, one in a million type things can go very wrong. The standard side effects you might get are like soreness at the injection site or something like that. Maybe a
3: low-grade fever depending upon the vaccination that you received. And that's your body's immune system kicking Kicking in here. Right, right. Um, But, yeah, and obviously if you are someone who has a compromised immune system, it could be much more serious than that. Which is why, you know, most vaccines you would never administer to someone who has that kind of uh, condition.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, you can have allergies to certain ingredients in vaccines.
3: Yeah. And that can, that can be pretty scary. I mean, as someone who has, I I have a couple of pretty severe allergies, not to anything that's in vaccines, as far as I know anyway. But, uh, you know, that's one of those things where the reaction is pretty quick after you're introduced to the thing and it can be pretty terrifying. But again, that's that's your body misidentifying something as being super-duper dangerous. So it goes into hyper-attack uh, mode. Mm-hmm.
4: you got to stay away from the shellfish vaccine.
3: Uh, yeah. For me, it's uh, lobster and alcohol. Those are the two things I can't have because I will go into anaphylactic shock. It's exciting. It's a fun trick to do at parties, but I can only do it once. Um, <laughs> one other problem that we sometimes encounter with vaccines is access. Right. And then oh, absolutely, you know, this is this is sometimes in the case of shortages where we literally do not have enough vaccines for the populations that are most in need of them. Sometimes it has to do with the vaccines are not in the part of the world where we need them to be. Right. Like the the outbreak might be in one part of the world and all the vaccine production centers could be in a different part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that issue is that it's it's difficult to ship vaccines. A lot of vaccines have to be kept at a very low temperature in order for them to remain viable. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we're talking about the future of vaccines. Not all places in the world have temperature controlled storage. So while you could argue, hey, why is this even an issue? We have vaccines for that disease. Well, if we can't get the vaccine to the people who need it, then there's still Very much a problem. Mm -hmm. So in that case, the problem isn't so much with the vaccine itself and what it is, but rather how much of it do we have and do we have it in the right place at the right time? Uh, But that is a serious issue with vaccines. It has nothing to do with autism or diabetes or anything along those lines. Now, let's go on and talk about some of the future of vaccines because there's some really exciting stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And and to to start us out, I just wanted to give a shout out to genome sequencing because uh being able to take a look at the entire genetic code of a bacterium or virus has let researchers start to make uh again, those very educated guesses about sequences of code that could work as antigens in the future um, it's sometimes called reverse vaccinology like trying to create a vaccine out of something that that you're you're not sure will work but this might be the right puzzle piece to, to plug mm. in there um uh, there's also been study into the genes that turn on in microbes when those microbes switch from being passive to being active, uh, w- w- when they become virulent, mm-hmm. that is. And um we-, we talked a little bit about that one in our episode about antibiotics and bacterial communication. That one was called Forget Going Viral, Bacterial Communication is Awesome.
4: <laughs> Who came up with that title?
0: That's uh, Jonathan. Was it me? Yeah. I, I can only assume that... Probably was me. I I, it wasn't me. Was I was it the Ejo? one who called
3: uh, Operation Plowshare. That's the bomb. Oh, my goodness yeah. gracious. I'm not proud of that. <laughs> but I did it.
0: Uh, that, that episode about bacterial communication came out in September of 2015, if you would like to go check that one out. Um, so, so yeah, uh, genome sequencing. Good, good technology. It's not like a new technique the way that a lot of these others are going to be. But I just wanted to say, hey, thanks, genes.
3: Yeah. Good yeah. job. So some other stuff that's uh, being that's under research and development right now in various companies around the world. I mean, vaccines are big business, right? We're talking, uh, you know, this part of the the pharmaceutical business. It's
0: it is, and and, well, and and I oh, I did want to say that like that's part of the reason that some people distrust vaccines because of big pharma, and you know, and I get it, I I get that it's a it's a scary industry, right? Um, And,
3: And and there are some downsides too, right? Like there's some some diseases that. Big Pharma might not be that motivated to go out and develop vaccines for because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of money back there. If you're talking about diseases that largely affect the developing world versus the developed world, Mm -hmm. there might be this it's pretty grim to talk about this, but there might be this. You know, investment versus reward discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and actually that was a, that was a issue with Big Pharma and the flu vaccine for a number of years. It, it was, uh, definitely like a, like a loss item mm-hmm. for them, for, for most companies for a very long time. There's a couple newer vaccines that, uh, are, they're, they're able to incorporate more strains of the flu. Mm-hmm. In a single vaccine, and so those are actually like capable of making money because you can sell them to richer populations as like an upgrade Mm -hmm, sort of thing. mm -hmm. But, but for the, for the most part, certainly the flu vaccine and some other vaccines as well are, are not big money makers. Right. These are not the things that Big Pharma is going out and looking at to, to make all of their boku
3: bucks. Fortunately, there's still quite a few, uh, labs out there that are actively looking into improving our processes mm-hmm. with vaccines
0: yeah yeah it is right right it's 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 a complicated price issue is basically what I wanted to say
3: that's a good point. It's yeah. an excellent point. Uh, so one of so, those yeah. one of those technologies we're talking about is uh, live recombinant vaccines uh, this is the practice of using a vaccine of one attenuated virus or bacterial strain to prompt an immune response to a different illness. Well,
4: wait a minute, isn't this kind of what happened when Edward Jenner uh, put small or cowpox into one person to protect him from smallpox?
3: Very much so. Yeah, that's a great example of an early use of this. So really it's a it's an idea that's been around since we had the word vaccination.
0: Well, th- this is a little bit more of a of a direct application though because mm-hmm. in that case he was using one disease to prevent another and and in this one uh you're you're directly putting some of some of the dangerous disease into a less dangerous
3: disease yeah yeah yeah, it gets a little yeah exactly it does get a little more complicated It's more like a turducken right right (laughs) so so infection let's see let's see if my my example that i wrote when i was getting into nap mode makes sense here's how i wrote it out i said so you want to vaccinate somebody for disease a all right so you take uh you take a vaccine that's meant for disease b totally different disease but you incorporate some of the protein from disease A into the vaccine for disease B. So now the disease B contains a little bit of protein from disease disease A, and you administer that to an uninfected person. Their immune system kicks into gear. Their immune system recognizes the protein that belongs to disease A, even though disease A is not really represented otherwise in this vaccine. And as a result, you develop a resistance or immunity to disease a this is a great way of uh, using a, a method to protect someone from a disease that otherwise would be far too dangerous to introduce even in a vaccine form
4: now what would make a disease too dangerous to introduce would it be if if you can't make it safe enough like you, yeah you, you can't knock it out the way you would these others mm-hmm. hiv
3: is a great example of this right yeah. so hiv is is so potentially dangerous that you cannot attenuate it enough for it to fall below the threshold of danger. Yeah. You would constantly be endangering any uninfected person with, uh, it's just so virulent. Yeah. Yeah. You could contract HIV and then that could develop into AIDS. So this is uh an example of a way to get around that where you incorporate some of that protein. So it's not the actual HIV virus. It's just some of the protein that marks it as such. and, help your immune system defend against it now hiv in particular there might be a totally different vector that we discover to to vaccinate against that Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit uh, a little bit uh, later
0: but this one holds a lot of promise i'm excited about it
3: yeah it's pretty cool another one that i think is really neat is uh the dna vaccine approach um so these vaccines consist of dna coding for a specific antigen uh, you take that DNA coding and you inject the vaccine directly into muscle tissue, which sounds so comfortable. Uh, well, that's, that's what you do with most vaccines. Yeah. I just, it, whenever it's worded that way, <laughs> I can't help but, I can't help but feel that tetanus shot, right? Like yeah. that's the one that always. That I always associate. Jonathan associated.
4: he prefers them injected into his eyeballs.
3: <laughs> oh. I have had things.
0: Why would you even say that, Joe? I
3: had, I've had my it's eyes messed with before. Thank upsetting. you. We haven't done an episode about LASIK. Oh. I could talk about it. Uh, so oh. strangely enough, it doesn't bother me <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but uh, uh, so the DNA from the antigen integrates itself into the patient's cells, which begin to produce the antigen. And because the antigen is a molecular marker that indicates a foreign microbe. You can go back and listen to our first episode if you don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, this triggers the body's immune response. Now, one big advantage. Wait, to this wait,
4: so, back up. Hold yeah. on. So, you are you are essentially programming cells within your body to make the antigens that you would need to yeah. recognize for the vaccine. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, so they don't have to pick it up from any from any
3: microbes. Right. So, okay. so these antigens remember are just molecular markers. They're not. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're not the actual disease carrying microbe but rather kind of like their name badge so your cells are printing out these name badges your immune system recognizes that and then can build that into its antibody response.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one, yeah, it, it can it can take those antigens and, and build it into its DNA code so mm-hmm. that that's, that's a name badge that it knows to look for and kick right out of its bar.
3: Right. So even so, though it's never never encountered that particular disease, if you ever encountered it in the future, at least in theory, you would be able to produce the correct antibodies to fight it off.
4: So why would this be better than a regular vaccine?
3: Well, uh, DNA is, is relatively easy to manufacture, so it could be very efficient. It could be very uh, relatively inexpensive compared to other methods of producing vaccines. But there are some drawbacks as well, because you'd say, well, if it's easy to do, then why? Why why isn't that the standard? Uh, The big reason is that um, they've yet to be proven to induce an immune uh, response strong enough to create immunity to prevent future infection of diseases. So in other words, They can be used to help create antibodies for a particular disease. But so far, we have not demonstrated this approach as being effective enough to truly create immunity. Mm -hmm. So you could still be vulnerable to some of these diseases. Your body would be fighting it off, but it might not win. So – that's a big reason why DNA vaccines haven't been completely adopted as the new approach. Uh, but there's a lot of work going into improving it. Mm-hmm. And it is possible that uh, this will be useful in creating vaccines for diseases against which we have no current preventative measure. But we've got some other stuff we can talk about. Uh, there's the use of adjuvants or adjuvants. <laughs> have you heard about these? I, th- I
4: read something about them. Yeah, yeah no, this,
3: this, this is like this is like special sauce that you put in with your vaccine to make it a little give it a little more oomph. Okay.
0: Um,
3: essentially, these are additives that stimulate the immune system in one way or another. Oh, okay. So it's not directly related to. Uh, the disease necessarily, but it's meant to ramp up your immune system's response to make it more effective.
0: Okay, right, right. Uh, yeah, because as as we were discussing in the first episode, there's a few different signals that go on among the cells in your immune system mm. that, that get everyone r- rearing to go.
3: Yeah, it's the big big uh, coach speech before the… Before halftime is over. Yeah. It, come on, guys. We know what we're up against now. Right, right. Let's not give up another yard. So, uh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's literally sounds- everything I know about football. <laughs> 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 I just, I just exhausted it in that one analogy. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is, that's exactly right. Like the, these are additives that are meant to boost that ability for your immune system to respond very quickly and, uh, and build up those, those antibodies. Uh, There are a lot that are under various clinical trials right now that could end up uh, increasing the efficacy of a lot of promising vaccines, as well as just increasing the efficacy of existing vaccines.
4: So one frontier in vaccines that has seemed like an interesting possibility to me is the delivery mechanism itself, because I know it sounds kind of sad to say this, but I do think a fairly serious obstacle to Mm -hmm everybody getting their flu shot and stuff like that is the whole shot part is the needle yeah yeah i mean people don't like getting shots in fact i've even wondered sometimes if this contributes to uh parental fears about uh vaccines for their infants because you don't want to see your baby stabbed with the needle oh
0: absolutely not and i i accompanied one of my friends when her one-year-old boy was getting one of his rounds of vaccines and and the the baby was fine like like the, i mean i mean like like, litera- like literally the moment that that the immediate pain of of the actual prick was over the baby mm-hmm. was fine mm-hmm. uh the mother and i were traumatized yeah. <laughs> because the baby was so upset for that one moment that it was Oh, I'm like, I'm like,
3: I have an anecdote. I'm tensing up just thinking about it. So, so when I was a kid, when I was a kid and uh, me and my sister went in to get our jabs, Mm -hmm. as as the Brits call them, um, this was before we actually got the, the, uh, the shots. They needed to take a quick blood sample. Mm -hmm. And why, when I was a kid, why was the place of choice to remove blood, the tip of a finger where most of your nerve endings are? Right, but they would, would, you know, prick the tip of your finger and put a little tube down so that blood would go up the tube Uh and everything and all that. Mm -hmm. You you all know how it works. Still, I'm still think it's ridiculous that of all the places to take blood.
0: Yeah, blood comes out of everywhere. let's let's not aim
3: at the place where every nerve ending ever is.
4: (laughs) But at any rate, so my sister should take it from right inside your nose or your nipple.
3: (laughs) Uh, Okay. just pass that along maybe, to Joe's maybe, doctors. Maybe your lip or your eyeball. Uh, I, You're just getting the fluid out of an eyeball. <laughs> you know. despite, despite the fact that you – At the have, back of your
0: knee maybe.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Let's think of all the different places you could take blood okay, from. Okay, How about the yeah. lobe of an ear? At any rate, um, so they no, – That they, wouldn't hurt. That
0: would be fine. Go they ahead. did
3: this to – exactly. So they did this to my sister. So uh-huh. it's not not directly a, a shot, but it shows mm-hmm. the whole it's, it's a traumatizing process. effects yeah, of yeah. the needle. So, my sister, the stoic young lady she was, she was just old enough to talk, mm-hmm. and she stared at the nurse, one solitary tear running down her face, and she said, thank you. And the nurse burst into sobbing. Oh, no. A sobbing wreck. And I'm thinking, here's a practitioner who's, she's working in a pediatrician's office. She does
0: this every day, probably. To she hundreds be of kids. so
4: desensitized to the pain of children.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. And yet my sister broke her. Good on you, sis. At any rate, yes, that was a long way of getting tangentially around the, people the problem. People don't like needles. People don't like needles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My wife is one of those people. See, mm-hmm. I, I've gotten to a point where it, it doesn't phase me anymore. Um, uh, but for my wife, it's a big deal. She, it takes, you know, a lot to work herself up to going to get a shot. Uh, so one of the things that people have been looking into are alternatives to that. And we've seen some of that already, right? Like there are some vaccines that are orally administered. There's some uh, like the influenza virus. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's, nasal spray. There's the nasal spray mm-hmm. that's, that's a vaccine for some strains of of uh, influenza year over year. Mm-hmm. And... There are also some developments going on into creating patches that would administer a vaccine. The patches actually have little needles in them, but they're very, very, very tiny. So you don't really feel it. And the medication releases over time. It goes through the needles into your bloodstream, and then you end up producing the antibodies that way yeah so uh
0: Uh, there there you go that that must be the the micro needle thing that that i that i read about and didn't have time to follow up on (laughs) uh micro needles
4: oh no yeah yeah micro needles that's a thing
0: Yeah.
3: yeah now i you guys have seen uh the star treks right the you, Star Treks? yeah, the Star Trek, the
0: collective Star Trek. I've seen the, some tracks around stars. Yeah. yes. so you Is know that how,
3: the one with the lightsabers. No, that would be the that be the the wars in the stars. Okay. Now the Star Treks. Uh, so you know Bones has this thing that he would always put up against someone's neck, and you would hear a psh <laughs> sound, and then they'd be magically okay. You know, they actually developed one of those once upon a time. Yeah. It was a device that was meant to administer shots in this kind of way. Uh, my dad actually had it done when he was younger, and uh, he reports that it hurts like all Hades. Hmm. Yeah, so not, less, not an less advantage effective. To, Yeah. To getting the old needle well keep working on well, that one bones it
4: might be for people who uh who maybe like me are bothered not so much by the pain of the injection but the creepiness of the needle and its thinness and some sometimes i feel like i'd almost rather just get stabbed with a knife <laughs> than, than a <laughs> tiny little needle. like, like have, a li-
0: like a knife is honest have yeah. you been stabbed <laughs> with a knife joe
3: uh yeah i know all about it okay <laughs> i was just about to say like i've never been stabbed Stabbed with a knife, but I've been cut by a knife before. I've stabbed myself (laughs) with a knife. It's a little different when you are doing it yourself, too. No,
0: you are right. I am much less creeped out by by like knives and like I'd like paper. Like I slice myself open with paper all the time.
3: I think I've just had enough really close calls with severe allergic reactions to. Just not even register the okay, needle thing anymore. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You're that's like fair.
4: a you're a weary desert warrior yeah, I'm just of, the, like, hit, of the needle landscape. Okay. It hit me. All
0: right, but 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 bring bring it back. Bring yes, it back. Yes. Uh, researchers are also working on other ways to to get more vaccines like orally, nasally, or through other mucous membranes in order <laughs> other to
4: mucous membranes.
0: Yep. Uh, in your butt or vagina. That mm-hmm. is that is what's going on. So... Huh. Um, yeah, uh, so, oh man, I just said, but, but, on a science podcast, you guys. I feel real, I feel real scientific. Yeah. Um,
3: it's right up there with rad.
0: <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> These are all very scientific words. That's fair. According to the Ninja Turtles. Um, alright, so, so why, why would we want to use mucous membranes? Uh, because lots of infections start. At the mucous membranes. Lots Mm -hmm. of lots of stuff gets into us via our mucous membranes. Mm -hmm. It's basically the primary way that stuff gets into us unless you happen to have an open wound because your skin, you guys, is so good, so good at preventing microbes from getting into you.
3: It's essentially your force field.
0: It's Mm -hmm. it's 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 one job and it does it so good. And I keep saying weird stuff on purpose. I want you guys to know that I that I'm very articulate.
3: <laughs> <laughs> she knows that difference between good and well. In I other do. words, I yeah. do. Uh,
0: okay. So, um, so if you if you put uh, vaccines into the places where infections start, it, giving those cells in that area direct access to that vaccine can actually help. Mm-hmm. Uh, nasal flu vaccines, for example, create not only the the systemic response throughout your immune system, but also a, a local response. To the flu,
4: so straight up your nose.
0: Straight up your nose, yeah. So, so your body will be better prepared to fight other strains of the flu in the future, so not it's like, only the ones that it's receiving the vaccine for. It's nice. like it's
3: like the army itself knows what to look for, but the special forces that are in the hottest point of contention are yeah. really ready.
0: Yeah, totally. And so, so some people are are some, some researchers are working on some plant based delivery materials, mm. uh, some some like transgenic. Plant cells that could carry these antigens uh, into your mucous membranes really effectively.
3: Interesting! Wow. Alright, well anything else about interesting ways of delivering before we move on to...
0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also falling vaguely into this category are practices being studied in which vaccines can be given to pregnant women uh, so that their babies can receive those antigens while they're developing and and while they have the, the mother's immune system to, to bolster its own.
3: That's
2: awesome.
0: Because part of the, the spread out uh, nature of child immunization schedules is that their, their immune systems are so itty-bitty and so and so working uh, up to to bigger and better things Mm -hmm. that that you, you, you've got to you've got to give it some time to right, adjust, but right. if uh, but if we could give that to to the mother while the baby's in the womb, then that could speed the whole process up a great deal,
3: and also help in those instances that I mentioned before with herd immunity, where mm-hmm. you're worried about passing on an illness to a child who's not yet old enough to have received their scheduled immunization from a particular disease. Right, right. Uh, we also uh, are looking at new ways to keep vaccines viable in a wider spectrum of, of conditions. Earlier, I mentioned how in the shortages section we we're talking about that problem about the idea of cold storage and not everywhere in the world has access to good reliable cold storage one of the ways we're trying to address that uh, you know obviously one way would be to make sure that cold storage was something that was easily attainable in more parts of the world but That's, that's a long term. Yeah, yeah, that's a big
0: like energy resource. Yeah, there's a whole
3: infrastructure that Mm -hmm. has to exist for that to work, right? So another approach is, well, what if we design vaccines that are more hardy and can remain viable in a greater list of, uh, or a greater range of temperatures, for example. And that's a big one, like trying to find ways of creating a vaccine that is um, able to survive at higher temperatures. The smallpox vaccine, the reason why it was so effective, or one of the reasons it was so effective, is that relatively it could uh, remain viable at a greater range of temperatures than a lot of other vaccines can. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so
3: we could get that to different parts of the world and treat people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there's a lot of work going into finding new ways of designing vaccines so that they stay viable. And one of them uh, I thought was really interesting It involves suspending viral particles in a layer of sugar glass that's applied to a very thin membrane. So it's a solid storage mechanism for vaccine material. Okay. Uh, They found that if they used this particular approach and they stored the vaccines in a relatively high temperature environment, we're talking 113 degrees Fahrenheit, or, I'm assuming, Lauren, that you jumped in and helped me out with this. 45 yeah. degrees Celsius. Yep. Uh, Lauren's always looking out for you guys. Me, I'm like, 113 Fahrenheit, let him figure it out. Uh, but anyway, they, they stored it in a 113 degree Fahrenheit, 45 degrees Celsius, uh, container for six months, and it remained viable in all that time. Um, they actually did this to two different viruses. Uh, they, they did a different group where they stored it in liquid format, and in one of those two viruses, After just a couple of weeks in the 113 degree Fahrenheit storage unit, uh, it was completely destroyed. Like there was no real useful material left in that sample. So So. this is a possible solution, at least to some types of vaccines uh, that could mean that you could get this material to the right destination. Of course, then you have the trick of how do you turn this solid stuff back into a usable vaccine? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of development on that front as well, but very interesting work. Cool. And then we have something that uh, doesn't really fit into those categories, but Joe, you wanted to talk about it and it sounded really fascinating. Yeah, I wanted to take
4: a look at a different way of thinking about uh, vaccination. This is a little bit more metaphorical, but it follows the same kind of idea of establishing immunity to a disease or, or debilitating condition, mm-hmm. though in this case it would be a cognitive vaccine. And this is related to something that I talked about on an episode of the other podcast I'm on Stuff to Blow Your Mind, where we did a couple of episodes about the science behind Tetris, the video game Tetris. And, uh, one of the things that's interesting about Tetris is it has been used in all kinds of laboratory research w- with people studying what Tetris does to the brains of people who play it. Hmm. Especially playing it under certain conditions and in conjunction with certain tasks. Okay. And one of the most interesting things that has been found is, uh, the work of a scientist, uh, Emily A. Holmes out of Oxford. And in her team, on using Tetris as a cognitive vaccine to prevent the consolidation of traumatic memories. So y'all are familiar with PTSD, sure. sure. You know, sometimes you somebody has a traumatic experience. They might it might be a battlefield experience, or they're the victim of a crime. Something violent happens to them. Uh, whatever, uh, it, it's some kind of traumatic experience that's very unpleasant and and very difficult to get past. And it can cause uh, recurrent flashbacks. So you can be doing other stuff in your life and suddenly you're, you're presented with these, these cascading unpleasant memories that can really mess up your life. Mm-hmm. And traditional and current treatments to it are things like cognitive therapy, exposure therapy, certain different drugs, mm-hmm. uh, EMDR, which is an interesting thing I, I talked about, uh, on that podcast. And we got a bunch of interesting listener mail about, but anyway, what if there was a way to instead of Treating PTSD after you got it to inoculate yourself before the symptoms set in. Uh, and so there, there have been a few studies on this. One was in January of 2009, and it was, uh, the, the study was titled, Can Playing the Computer Game Tetris Reduce the Build Up of Flashbacks for Trauma? A Proposal from Cognitive Science. And, uh, they were sort of, they were, they were working with a couple of assumptions. Mm -hmm. One of them, is that cognitive science suggests that the brain has selective resources with limited capacity. And the other one was that uh, the neurobiology of memory suggests a six-hour window to disrupt memory consolidation. And they came up with an interesting hypothesis based on these two facts that we, we know from neuroscience. If you... Make the brain do a visuospatial task mm-hmm. during the period of memory consolidation. You d- basically deny the brain the resources it needs to consolidate a memory of a physical visual series of events. You can stop bad memories from consolidating with with this great emphasis in your brain. Uh, so so they had this. Essentially, the way their research went was they showed a bunch of people traumatic videos. Oh. Like- yeah, a lot I, of fun, huh? I'm
3: already glad I was not part of this <laughs> experiment. Yeah. I, okay.
4: Yeah, so they they sat people down and they made them watch these film clips that were uh, real scenes of human surgery, oh. fatal road traffic a- oh. accidents, and drowning. Uh,
3: like, it, welcome to our snuff film experiment. Yeah, yeah. a
4: lot of fun. Uh, I joked in the other podcast that they made them watch Faces of Death, but that doesn't <laughs> seem – it seems like something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, but so anyway, they'd have them do this, and, and then they split the participants into different groups. They had a control group who just watched the horrible movie. And then they and got then they, no help. Yeah, and, and then, then they, they just, just had to suffer took a break it. and sat in silence. Ugh. Then they had the other group play Tetris for 10 minutes. And the researchers, uh, they sent the volunteers away with instructions to keep a diary on how many times they experienced flashbacks over the next uh, week. And they checked back to see how many flashbacks the different groups had had. And they found that the ones who played Tetris had fewer flashbacks than the control group who didn't. Wow. And so... Uh, in Interestingly, they found that both groups had the same level of voluntary recall of the film, so they could both remember just as well what had happened in the right. movie they watched.
3: It's not like it blocked the actual formation of memory. Yeah, right.
4: But the, only the group with uh, that did not play Tetris experienced the significant number of unintentional flashbacks to to this nasty thing they saw. Uh, and so that's a really interesting effect. Why did that work? And and so there are a couple things to note. Number one is that there are limitations to the study that the researchers themselves acknowledge. Like you, you know, showing somebody a movie is not the same as having a real traumatic experience in their Mm -hmm. life, but it's the best you could approximate in the lab ethically. Right.
3: (laughs) Sure. You could not, you could not actually create a true traumatic experience for someone
4: right no, just be uh, wrong but these fi- but these findings were replicated and expanded on in subsequent studies uh so they, they they did another study where they found the same thing and then they they tested different kinds of games they said mm-hmm. okay Uh, well, let's take Tetris and then also like a trivia quiz game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it found that Tetris worked, but the trivia quiz game didn't. So it's something specifically about Tetris and probably not just Tetris, but games like it, some kind of visual, spatial. Bejeweled, Candy Crush. Yeah, orientation uh, tasks. I
3: was was thinking it was just the soundtrack, the do, 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 do. Man, I love that soundtrack. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's, Uh, Obviously it's a little different from the other concepts of vaccination because you already have to be exposed to the event that would have created the, the Mm -hmm. post-traumatic Kind of a a response. It Uh is.
4: It's kind of like how, you know, uh, you get bitten by a dog and they take you to the hospital and you get a rabies vaccine Mm -hmm. uh, immediately administered. And if you follow the course of the vaccine, I think they have to give you multiple ones, but uh, it's a little
3: different now than it used to be. It used to be that it was multiple uh, shots and they were all delivered to the abdomen. Ugh. it's it's changed since I was a kid
0: <laughs> well it, in the in both cases you're, you're talking about exposure yeah. uh you're, you're potentially exposed to to the flu to measles to whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, and and what the vaccine is doing is preventing you from getting sick from it right
4: yeah. so it's not a therapy it's a preventative measure right, that's why right. they call it a cognitive vaccine Sure. Right. so it, instead of you already having PTSD and experiencing flashbacks and then going through therapy to try to to stop them from happening this is supposed to uh, Prevent they're, they're obviously developing techniques for preventing flashbacks from ever beginning in the first place it's <laughs>
3: really really a cool uh idea well i guess we can conclude this by talking about some of the diseases that we don't yet have vaccines for but people are working on them uh, the first is a universal flu vaccine. Oh,
4: wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: We've already kind of covered this a bit. Lauren mentioned that, you know, when we get a flu vaccine, if you get a flu shot, it typically has between two and four strains of flu represented within that flu shot. And if you come into contact with one of those strains, you're all right. But then the next year, you have to get a whole new flu shot. Part of that is because the, the influenza is one of those viruses that mutates readily. It's constantly mutating. Mm-hmm. And if it mutates enough, then it no longer resembles its old self and your body won't recognize it and can't effectively fight it off. So, like I mentioned before, there's some parts of the flu virus that remain consistent from one mutation to the next. And researchers are hoping that that's going to be an inroad to creating a multi-year vaccine, something that will protect you several years of flu uh, season in a row before you have to get another shot. I mean, eventually you probably will anyway just cuz again, the mutations will be enough where it'll necessitate that. Uh there's also the hope that perhaps you, they will be able to develop a universal flu vaccine, something where you find that root that is common to all strains of the flu and because you have you have targeted that root it, it works against any kind of flu you would come in contact with, not just the ones that they are reasonably sure will be the most yeah. uh, relevant for that year. And that would be fantastic. Uh, another one, obviously, this would be a big deal, is uh, Ebola. Uh, it's a viral infection. So just a few days before we recorded this episode, we're recording this on January 26, 2016. Just a few days ago, uh, there was an, uh, an announcement from uh, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, uh, which released a statement uh, to support a vaccine developed by Merck and Sharp and Domi? Uh, Dome, I'm Dome, D-O-H-M-E, D- sure. mm-hmm. uh, uh, Corporation for the Ebola virus. Now, that vaccine has yet to be approved for use as a preventative for Ebola. It's still in clinical trials. However, so far, they've been very promising, uh, having an overwhelmingly positive response, 100 percent efficacy, according yeah. to the papers, um, which is fantastic, obviously. Uh, so next will be a wider range of clinical tests. Uh, they're they're part of the money that's being poured into this development is to allow for a broader uh, array of tests, which could potentially save hundreds of thousands of lives uh, just as a result of the tests. And obviously, the hope is that further down the line, the vaccine will be approved for uh, for official use. But there are a lot of other companies that are also looking into Ebola vaccines. That's not the only one. That was just one that was recently in the news as we record this. Uh, Also, HIV. Uh, We talked about that uh, earlier. It's Uh another viral infection. Computer models have shown that even a modestly successful HIV vaccine would make a massive impact on a sustainable response to the HIV AIDS epidemic epidemic. Uh, across the world. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of companies that are currently researching potential uh, approaches to developing an HIV vaccine.
0: Uh, yeah, and I I meant to say earlier uh, an an interesting thing about HIV and and one of the reasons why it in particular is so difficult for your body to fight is that HIV carries antigens that are really similar to those of common bacteria like like E coli. Mm. Uh, and so when your immune system sends attackers, they're trying to attack the wrong thing.
1: Right. They, they,
3: they have identified it as something it is not.
0: Yeah. And so no. they, they they show up and
3: nothing happens to the virus. Right, because again, propagate. that, that yeah. antibody doesn't fit with mm-hmm. that particular yeah. antigen. And, and furthermore,
0: the virus can then attack your, your, uh, your immune system cells, which is bad times for everybody.
3: Right. Uh, there's also a lot of work in developing a vaccine for malaria, which is a parasitic infection. Uh, That's been a target for a working vaccine for more than a decade, but it's really challenging. And that's largely because the parasites responsible for malaria have a very complex life cycle. So protecting against each phase of that Mm -hmm. life cycle is really challenging. Um, Also, malaria is really good at avoiding the immune system. So it's hard to create a working vaccine to target malaria. But there is some hope that DNA vaccines in particular could lead to a working preventative for malaria. Uh, then there's also pulmonary tuberculosis. So if you're a, a, an infant, you get the BCG vaccine. That's effective in protecting newborns against tuberculosis. But that vaccine does not appear to be effective in uh, adults. So as an adult, you can't get this to be a preventative for catching tuberculosis. It does not appear to be effective at all. So there's no booster shot that you can get that can extend that protection later in life. Uh, and in addition, tuberculosis is one of those diseases that, in the Western world, is not such a big deal.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in in largely developed countries, it's, yeah. it's not a big deal anymore. You, you tend to only encounter it like watching movies about Victorian age. Yeah, occasionally,
3: you'll, if you're watching a uh, Tombstone and you're watching a uh, Doc Holliday, Slow Heat. Succumb to consumption, and by
0: succumb to consumption, I mean wear more red eyeliner. Yeah. Yes, but um, but but no, will be your Huckleberry though. So, <laughs> but it's but it's still a but it's still a very serious problem in many parts of the world. It
3: is, and and there have been some outbreaks in Europe, but the the issue is that one of the issues is that this is going back to what we were saying before. Um, there's not as big a return on investment on investing in a vaccine for tuberculosis. So, the World Health Organization has been hard at work trying to come up with uh financial incentives to actually encourage tuberculosis vaccine development. There's some other ones that are pretty interesting. Uh, there's a lot of work looking into potentially creating a vaccine that could prevent Alzheimer's disease. So these are really more about therapeutic vaccines rather than than a direct preventative of Alzheimer's itself. Uh, so the main target would be this sticky protein that can develop uh, it's amyloid Beta peptides. They form this plaque-like substance in the brain that can lead to neuronal cell death. And there's also uh, the tau protein, which is correlated with dementia. So the idea here is creating therapeutic vaccines that target diseases that produce these proteins. Oh, okay. So it's, it's, it's like, let's, let's find the early steps that we believe lead Lead to Alzheimer's. Right. And if huh. we can stop those from happening, then maybe we can head off any development of Alzheimer's. disease. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, that's that's sort of in in the way that, that that vaccines against cancer currently are working.
3: That's a great, and that's a great lead into the final one. Yeah, there are a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about developing vaccines to prevent cancer. Uh, HPV vaccines are are being used right now for mm-hmm. that. Cervical
0: cancer is is caused by cellular changes that are created by infection, by the human papillomavirus yeah. or
3: HPV. Yeah, uh, there are two types of the virus that cause 70 percent of all cervical cancer. So clearly that sort of vaccination could be a really powerful tool in preventing that type of cancer for uh, mm-hmm. lots of people. Oh,
0: yeah. Even even just the development of tests to look for that virus uh, and to look for those kind of cellular changes have saved it. I, I think that I think that cervical cancer used to be certainly in the top 3 of causes of death of of American women up until like the 1940s like mm. crazy amounts of death so it's it's so so coming up with a vaccine for that is really big.
3: So similar to what we were talking about with Alzheimer's this is uh, looking at viral infections or bacterial infections that could lead to conditions that further develop into cancer. And if we can vaccinate against those initial conditions, then it's possible that someone who would have developed cancer won't. Uh, It's heading that cancer off at that, that tipping point, that moment that uh, causes it to all start off in the first place. So there's a lot of research in that area as well. Now, clearly, not all cancers are alike. There are a lot of different types of cancer out there, a lot of different things to take into consideration. Some of them are caused by uh, environmental factors
0: there are many carcinogens out there if yeah. you've ever
3: gotten kind of sick
0: of news reports being like does this cause cancer and you're like well doesn't just everything cause cancer and
4: yeah. the answer yeah, is sort of living causes cancer yeah. so
3: vac- vaccinations are even at their peak once we like get to a point where we're, we're reasonably sure we have covered as many bases as there are covered likely there are going to be some things that we just can't address because yeah. it's beyond the ability to vaccinate against it uh, however, it's really encouraging to see the work that's going in. And I really hope that we continue to see uh, people advocating for good science, the people advocating to make sure you know what you're talking about mm-hmm. when you're looking at the risks versus reward of vaccines. Uh, the, it's, it's pretty clear from the science that the reward is enormous compared to the risk. That we can't ever say there is no risk.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and there, there's misinformation coming from, from both camps, honestly. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's important to, to take into consideration that, like, the flu vaccine is not 100% effective. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it prevents the flu in about 50%. In, in, in about half of people who receive it, um, and so it, it's it's understandable with that, and with other side effects, and with uh, general misunderstandings about how vaccines work, that people have doubts. Uh, but you know,
3: science, guys, and I, I, I never think it's a bad thing to ask questions. Oh, right? sure, but it's of course, cer- it's certainly a yeah, it's certainly not good to just assume you know the answer, right. or or to or to cling to something that has been disproven or debunked i Mm -hmm. mean uh Loch Ness Monster aside because she's real at any rate guys uh that wraps up this discussion about the future of vaccines i think we had a really interesting talk here about what they are what they do where they're going and why they're so important uh guys if you have any suggestions for future episodes of forward thinking maybe there's uh something else you've always wanted to know what's that going to be like in the future let us know. Send us a message. You can email us. Our address is at com, or drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. If you search Facebook for FW Thinking, we pop right up. You can leave us a message or FW Thinking is our handle on Twitter. You can tweet us and we're always happy to hear from you guys. And we will talk to you again really soon.
2: For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.
1: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs,
0: Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash
1: with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
2: Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air.